Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, military moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we're going to talk about caregiving today, Rob. Now, I'm a veteran caregiver. You were a caregiver for your mother for how many years? Oh, close to 20, just shy of 20 years. Wow, so you did like, you could retire, you could. (laughs) (laughs) It is, Um, and you know, then it becomes just part of the family as opposed to a caregiver role, but this is something I do want to talk about because that definition of caregiver versus family can be so um, difficult to juggle. It's the same thing for most of us. I mean, yeah. I know some of us are a caregiver for, you know, some, I don't even know if you're a caregiver for a random person. <laughs> like, you have to have a relationship usually, yeah, usually. Um, you know. Unless but you're one of those visiting angels or, you know, the visiting nurse people. Yeah, but they get paid. But they get paid, right. You know, and that makes some difference. I'll be honest, you know, um, I've been caring for my dad, what, five years now, something like that, four or five years. And um, I do, he does give me money each month, you know, towards his food and his TV and his things like that. And that makes a difference because it's not the whole financial burden on me. And, um, you know, there's so much that happens when you become a caregiver and, you know, Caregiving is also a little different than parenting. Yes, yes. And there again, it sort of blends. Sometimes you feel like you are the, um, the parent role because you're telling them you really need to put a sweater on, you really need to uh, go lay down, you really need to take your medicine. And you do, you feel, and that's very difficult because when you've been a parent, you have to remember that tone that you're reminding your your um, uh, person that you're caring for, that you're not talking down to them childlike, that you are respecting their position in your family or their their uh, elderly status. And that's difficult, I think, um, well, to get that balance at the beginning, especially. It is. It is. And, you know, some of our, some of our veteran caregivers are caring for people younger than them. Right. And that creates a different dynamic. You know, um, I've got a friend who's caring for her 38-year-old brother, who's a veteran, a disabled veteran, and she's probably, she's probably in her 40s. So there's all this conflict between I'm your caregiver, but I'm your sister. I'm your caregiver, but I'm your mother. I'm your caregiver, but you're my father or you're my mother. You know, it starts to get, it starts to get really convoluted. Yeah. Because, you know, telling somebody, you know, come on, it's time to take your medicine or like, you know, for my dad in the morning, like there's mornings he doesn't want to take it. Right. Right. And And that's when you're, you're telling him your life depends on you taking these medications. And that's when he says, he's always been the boss. He's always been the paternal figure in your household. And he's always told you, you know, he's had the final word. So it's very difficult. I had the same with mom. You know, it was difficult for me to tell her 
what to do for her own good versus me being a rebellious child. Because I'm sorry, once you're a parent, you're always a parent, and they always look at you as a child. It doesn't right. matter if you're 40, 50, 60 years old. Well, you know, when my brother had soldier, uh, shoulder surgery, he had to have his shoulder reconstructed from an injury, and I had to help him take a shower, I had to help him, and it was really difficult um, on our relationship because, you know, we're brother and sister, we're grown adults, and you know, there's a difference between you have to take your medication because you need it to live versus you're going to be in pain in two hours and then you're going to be a pain in my ass. Like, you know, <laughs> you know there's yeah. that, it's the gray area yeah. where it gets, um, where it gets really sticky because when yeah. it's, when it's life or death, you know, like if, if my father doesn't take yeah. certain meds, you know, we're going to go to the hospital. Right. And I can right, throw exactly. that and say, yeah. you know, you either take these or we go to the hospital. Right. Well, right. you like in my brother's case, or you know, when it comes to pain management, um, or some of these drugs that they're given that don't necessarily show up if you don't take them for a day or you don't mm -hmm. take a dose. Sure. But then you're paying for it mm -hmm. a, a day later or six hours later, and all of a sudden they're crabby and they're they're or they're out of it, you know, and you're just like, that's where I struggle the most. I think is the gray area. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first thing that's difficult for both sides is to get over the fact that this life has changed. They don't like the fact that they're dependent, especially if it's an elder. They don't want to be dependent, and they're frustrated because they've lost that dependence. And helping them or giving them the space, I think, to uh, uh, come to grips with that. So often, I think, once they have talked, talked it through, gotten through the fact that, yes, this is part of what they need. could be temporary. Somebody broke their leg. They're going to be laid up for eight weeks or whatever, and then they'll be back to normal. But when this is a life-changing move, the fact that an elder now is going to need this help for the rest of their lives, that's very difficult. They get depressed. They get anxious. They get ornery. They get... Um, defiant and being able to talk and open up about why this has to be the way it is helps them understand that yes they'll still have some independence in maybe the most minuscule way or yes you will have a say in your care because I understand that we have to have these conversations so I, I think that's probably the first thing that's going to happen well, if they'll talk, you know, like I think of a friend of mine, um, he had a stroke, you know, after 21 years in military service yeah. in the Navy. And then, you know, he had that stroke last year and um, I tried to get him to talk about it. I tried to get him to write about it. I tried to get him to yeah. do yoga. I tried to get him to do, and he just sat there like a bump on a log. I'm not going to talk about it. Like mm -hmm. if he just somehow ignored it, it was going to go away. And then- he wasn't allowed to drive until they assured that he wasn't going to stroke out, you know, I'm 54 yeah. years old and very, yeah. very high stress military career. You know, it was like, I didn't want to go in the room. I didn't want to talk. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to even say hello because, you know, it was just, you know, he was like a simmering volcano ready to erupt yeah. so much anger. Like, 
Yeah. You know, and that's the one thing that, you know, with, with caregiving, I don't think a lot of people talk about is the caregiver gets the brunt of the anger. Yes. Because yes. they're stuck, you know, like in this case, yep. stuck in a bed, he's got tubes sticking out of him. This yeah. is not how he planned to spend his summer. This is not how he yeah. planned to retire. Right. You know, all these things forced upon him because his body gave out and you know, and I can't make a snarky comment like your 54 cheeseburgers a year didn't help, but you know, you want to fire back because yeah, they're firing at you, but you can't because right. you're the caregiver and you're the one that's supposed to be calm and taking care of them. And you don't want a combative caregiving relationship, but when they're not cooperating and they're adjusting to their new normal, you then not only have to adjust to all this extra and all this new normal yourself, but then you got a ration of, you know, what thrown at you every time you walk in the room. Mm, absolutely. It's also fortunate if there are other clinicians that are involved in this process though. Um, sometimes you have a nurse that's going to come in, you have a visiting nurse, you do have to see um, the PT, the OT, um, all of that. Being a part of the full circle of a care team, sometimes then it's, you're able to go back and say, remember what the doctor said, let's talk about this. Or sometimes there's um, counselors, um, whether it be psychological counseling that goes along with some of that therapy, um, depending on, on the illness. And, and being a part of all of that big circle. Well, and the will, willingness of the person yeah. to be part of it. You know, right. <laughs> a lot of our military personnel are not known for their free and easy exactly. personality. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like straighten up, fly right, do what you're told, follow orders. Yeah. You know, but then when it comes to them following orders, like right. medical orders or take yeah. your medicine and stuff like that, you know, it, it was, it's always shocking to me the change in people, but you know, you can't take, and you know, this is one thing that I want, you know, our listeners to really understand. You can't take somebody who's been in leadership and used to being in charge for 20 years or 10 years or even five years and then strip them of their income by and large, strip them of their leadership capability because they're having difficulty talking, expressing Mm -hmm. their opinion, remembering. Mm -hmm. And then you've got usually great physical specimens. You know, they're used to running and going like in this guy's case, he was used to kayaking every day and swimming in the ocean and then going to work. And then, you know, maybe after work going to the gym and all of a sudden he's feet up in a bed you know, that's going to take some time. It took probably, I'm trying to think it probably took three, four months Mm -hmm. to, to just get over the initial anger. Right. Right. There's definitely that anger. And, and whether it be somebody who was uh, a military person, mom had the same thing. She was angry at first. She was defiant. She didn't want to be any part of this, but it's true. I think when something happens suddenly, um, as opposed to getting a little bit older, losing some of the faculties, losing some cognitive awareness, that's a little bit different than when suddenly there's an injury, suddenly there's a, a drastic change in your independence, in your capabilities. That's a lot more to deal with, and, and that really does need some, some uh, time. 
Yeah. Well, you know, he likened it to turning off a switch. Yeah. He said, San, it's like somebody just turned a switch off in most of my life. Wow. Wow. You know, because some of the drugs they gave him initially made it, and who knows if it was the brain injury or the, um, you know, the drugs, but he had right. trouble focusing just to watch TV, trouble focusing right. reading. And then he would listen to, like, I brought him all these audibles, you know, audible books to listen yeah. to. So yeah. he could, could, but he said he'd listen to the whole book and then he would have no retention. Mm. And then he was frustrated, you know, so there's a lot of loss that comes with caregiving and, you know, being trained in the grief, I think is also something, you know, they, they do grieve and mourn their old life. And so do the rest of us. Yeah. You know, you've got children that do double duty. Now you've got, you know, a mom or a wife or a girlfriend that all of a sudden has another full responsibility. You know, it's almost like having a new baby, but it's an old baby, (laughs) you know, an old baby. That's a defiant baby. Right. And there again, if you're a family member that is now a caregiver, you have lost your independence or your uh, ability to, I want to go out to dinner with my husband. I want to go um, overnight. Uh, Case in point, I couldn't spend the night when my daughter got married. I couldn't go to the wedding, spend the night with the rest of the family. I had to come home because we didn't have overnight care for my mom. Um, so you have to kind of get over that little bitter pill. Um, if you are willing to be this caretaker in this person's life, your life is going to change, not only theirs. And once you are, um, sort of over all of that, then move forward. How is, um, how is he doing by the way now? Much better. You know, it's yeah. been a year now, so he's yeah. back to work. You know, he did retire from the Navy and mm-hmm. he's working now for a defense contractor and he still has, you know, he has gaps in his memory, you know, and he has yeah. to, uh, you know, this is where his military training really paid off. You know, sure. he has gaps in his memory. He does have, he has to write a lot more things down where he used to carry everything in his head. So, um, yeah. you know, physically he's much better, you know, he's back to swimming, not, not to the extent he was. And what's been interesting is his personality has softened greatly. You know, I, oh, I think yeah. that, you know, there was a big change in, in personality to go from go, 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 do, 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 yeah, yeah. a lot more compassion, <laughs> yeah. a lot more empathy. Uh, and was a lot of counseling, um, that went with that. Uh, I don't really know. He wouldn't discuss any of that. I see. Yeah. You know, whether he went or didn't, I gave him numbers. You know, there were, um, you know, I gave him lots of resources. Sure. And then he said, that's it. I, you know, I don't want to, he didn't want to talk about that part of his life with me, you know, fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if he was able to, however he got the strength and the, and the, um, uh, assistance through that part of his journey, then that's great. Right. And, you know, maybe he went, maybe he didn't go, you know, talk therapy doesn't work for everybody. Journaling doesn't work for everybody. I know, you know, that's that conventional wisdom. Like you just go talk about it. You'll feel better. Well, not all of us work that way. Right. Right. Definitely. You know, the one thing I will say that, that um, I know that he really struggled with was this sleep problem like he would fall asleep he likened it to like when a woman is pregnant and he would feel this overwhelming desire to take a nap like you know when you're pregnant you're just 
you're so, you know, you could just lay down yeah. in the middle of the freeway and just get on right. the median and take a nap right there. Like it didn't matter <laughs> where you were, or what you were yeah. doing. And as he was healing, I guess, as his brain was healing that, you know, it was pretty common. The doctor said, but he, you know, needed to take these naps and he would take these naps, but then he wouldn't sometimes sleep through the night or sleep soundly, you know, and this, the lack of sleep, I think was, was affecting his recovery because he couldn't sleep. He couldn't get comfortable. Mm. Isn't that true though? Uh, just even as for a healthy person, if you're not getting a good night's sleep or you're not getting um, the proper amount of sleep, you're dysfunctional the next day. You really can't uh, deal with things as as logically as um, uh, as you should. And I I think that probably is exacerbated when you're um, trying to heal. Your body is needing that energy to heal itself. It's try your body is trying to be defensive, and um, if you're not able to lay down and sleep. Uh, you're not going to get uh, the the rest and the healing that you need. Right. No, I mean, sleep is so important. And, you know, we talk a lot about military. We talk a lot about veterans. And, you know, especially in the case of an injury or in the case of the caregiver taking care of the person with the injury. Mm -hmm. And the injury could be a moral injury. It could be an, Mm -hmm. you know, a a visible or non-visible injury. There's lots of injuries that happen. Um, but I know how important a good night's sleep is and I own a sleep number bed and it makes me really happy to let everybody know that this month, the month of May sleep number is honoring our nation's heroes with savings that are just designed for them. Now the sleep number bed, Robin, we're going to talk about this because you were there this weekend. I was, I was there. Yeah, the sleep number bed lets you choose the comfort and support that's right for you, and it adjusts on each side. So it's really a good um, bed for couples. So if your battle buddy is also your bed buddy, <laughs> this <laughs> might be a you know a good a, a good bed for you. And you can actually feel how it contours to your neck and your shoulders, your back and your hips for better spinal alignment. And I know, like for me, if I sleep and I'm out of whack the next day. Mm everything else is harder. And, you know, the sleep number beds are smart. They sense your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably. There's even an adjustment for snoring, which that thing killed me. Now you were in the store this weekend. I want everybody to go into the sleep number store, find the one near you, go to uh, sleepnumber.com slash military mom. But I want to hear about your experience, Rob, of going into the sleep number store and, you know, this thing called sleep IQ. I love it because, and it was funny because Stephen and I have, my husband and I have been talking about a new mattress for quite a while. Um, and I have been in sleep number before, but he had not. And uh, I said, come on, we're going to go, we're going to go check it out. And the minute we both laid down on the bed and the, uh, the manager was there with us, helping us to adjust the fact that we could have each side unique to us but um, have the exact number that was right for us was he was like, Oh, this makes so much sense. This is, this is it. This is going to be it. But being able to adjust your sleep comfort, even though the person next to you might want to be uh, a very firm mattress, you might want a very soft mattress. You both have that, that comfort that you each need who nobody's exactly the same. No. Do you remember your sleep number? My sleep number setting was 36. 
Yeah, I'm about a 40. Steve was about a 50 to 55. Wow. So a big difference. Yes. Yes. And so many times we have been at a hotel or whatever, and um, we, we have a hard time because I don't like a hard bed. He really likes a firm bed. Um, this is the answer. This is exactly what we need. That is so cool. So now, did you learn about the sleep IQ? Like last night, my sleep IQ score was a 73. And I got to tell you, monitoring my sleep like that helps me adjust the next day. Like if, if I got a low sleep IQ score, and we'll talk a little bit about sleep IQ, but if my score was low, I may or may not do the same workout at the gym. I may not do the same intensity. I might put it later in the day or earlier in the morning. You know, I make these adjustments. And then if I can, I might take even a 10 or 15 minute cat nap because I know I didn't get a good night's sleep. And it also helps me understand that it's not because of a headache or I got the flu or it's that time of the month. Like if I look and see my sleep number score was pretty low last night, tossed and turned and rolled around a lot. I don't look for many other reasons for, you know, kind of why that happened. And I, I, it just gives me peace of mind. It does. I love the fact that you can uh, download an app that you can see the chart the next morning. It will give you that breakdown of where you are tossing and turning. And like you say, it will give you that, that score. Isn't it great if you have, certainly if you've got the meeting at 10 o'clock the next morning and that's it. You don't have that choice, but you can sort of plan your day depending on whether or not you've got a good night's sleep. Uh, Maybe it means you're not going to drive in the morning, you're going to drive in the afternoon or vice versa. I love the fact that it's so easy to get that information right on your phone. Uh, There is a remote if you want the remote instead. Um, But I, and I love the fact that it's very convertible to your needs. We didn't want the, the foundation, but you can purchase it with a foundation. You can have the adjustable bed or you can not have the adjustable bed. I, I love how convertible these systems are that you can get just what you need. Well, that's really great, Rob, because I'm really picky, you know, and, 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 you know, having somebody that'll work with me in my specifics and my specific situations is really important. So I'm going to encourage everybody to go into uh, one of these sleep number stores. There's more than 550 sleep number stores. You can go to sleepnumber.com slash military mom to find the store nearest you. Now here's the exclusive savings. That's just for military and veterans this month. It's the semi-annual sale where you're find final clearance savings of $600 on pressure relieving sleep number queen C4 mattress now only 999.99 that's the queen C4 mattress and it's the final clearance savings up to $600 on that pressure relieving uh, C4 mattress and um, you got to check out the sleep IQ it is so cool and go get your sleep number number and you know you'll find out you know one of the things that I found is you know um, when I went in I took my older son and my older son I hate his bed I absolutely hate it. And he was like a 23, you know, he likes to sleep like on a marshmallow. And (laughs) Zachy went in and he laid down on his and he's like, he likes a hard bed. You know, he was up, you know, 48, 49. And, you know, when they were little, I used to bring them all in my bed with me. And, you know, not that I would have three people in my bed right now, but, you know, to be able to adjust for your comfort and your bed buddy's Mm -hmm. comfort 
can make all the difference in a relationship because one of you isn't cranky all the time. Right, right. Or maybe you had a, a tough workout. You did a lot of uh, yard work or physical work. You might need a change in your number for a couple of nights or you might need something a little bit firmer. I love the fact that it is just uh, that personal number that's just right for you. We love that. We love that because we don't need any more challenges, you know. No, exactly. When you're, when you're caregiving, um, there's a lot of support for the person, you know, the person that everybody's taking care of, but there's not a whole lot of support for the caregiver. You know, I think it's getting better, you know, in the 10 years, Rob, we've done this show, you know, remember in the beginning, there wasn't even the term really veteran caregiver, you know, right. now there's veteran caregiver support groups. There's veterancaregiver.com. You can go on Facebook and find three or four different veteran caregiver groups. And a lot of times, Rob, all we need is somebody to listen to us because quite frankly, there's not you know, nobody's rolling in dough that they can have, you know, full-time caregiver support. Or like in your case, you know, when you wanted to go away, you know, you just go, okay, I have the hotel room for my daughter's wedding. I have the things I have to pay for. Is it in the budget to pay for somebody to come the whole night? No. Or you might not be comfortable with that. I'm not necessarily comfortable calling visiting nurse and saying, I need a respite nurse for 24 hours. I don't even know this person. I know that they're vetted. I know that they are bonded, but I'm sorry. I don't necessarily want a stranger, nor does my person that I'm caring for want some stranger helping them in the shower. They need to build uh, a de develop uh, that comfort. And that's what is so difficult, I think. Um, and I think it is changing that clinicians are a lot more readily um, speaking to the caregiver as a part of the team. Whereas before it was like, oh, you're the person who brought this, my patient in. You go sit out there, I'm taking care of my patient. It's not that brick wall anymore. I think there's definitely a, a lot more compatibility and con conversation for the whole care of this person, not just um, what it said on the chart and what medications they're taking and thank you next. Well, yeah. And you know, the other thing about, you know, sitting in these meetings, um, I can have my father go in and go to these meetings and he'll come out and tell me it's fine. And then I'll look at the scripts that the doctor wrote and it's like, gee, you've got insulin here. You've got a um, pack for, for, you know, the diabetes test kit. Like, what's going on there? Oh, well, you know, my sugar's a little high. Okay. Well, that's a lot different than the doctor saying. And so, you know, that was my learning lesson a couple of years ago because I had to turn around and open the door to the doctor's office because it was one of those old school doctors that like, you know, I'm going to talk to the patient and I just plunked down in his chair and he's like, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I said, I love my dad, but it went in one ear and out the other. Right. And I have this stack of things I'm supposed to take to Rite Aid or CVS and fill. Mm -hmm. And then now what? And I'm like, so I need you to go over and I'm sorry, you know, like you had your 10 minutes with them. You're going to have to spend 10 minutes with me. Um, but you know, when you're, when your person that you're taking care of is sick or injured, how on earth are they supposed to retain everything? So, you know, from now on, either me or one of my brothers and sisters always accompanies my dad and takes notes. Yeah. You need to. 
Uh, quite honestly, even a healthy person needs to sort of write a few notes before you get into that office. We need to be able to say, oh yes, and I wanted to ask you about um, this ringing in my ear. It could be the most random thing in the world, but you need to write it down before you get in there. The same with a person who is now um, having some compromises in many different ways. They could be sitting uncomfortably and be shifting when the doctor said the most important thing of the whole visit. So it's really important that um, somebody attend with, with you. If you are able to go in and sit in that meeting, if it's a family member, it's usually a little bit easier. I know all of the doctors that I was ever involved with was extremely welcoming for me to be there with her. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, if you're the one taking care of them, you know, yep. Yep. it is what it is. And, and you know, the other thing comes into, you know, like, it's funny, like, my dad will tell the nurses everything that's wrong with him, but if it's a male doctor, he's fine. Yes, yes. Isn't that interesting? You know, yeah. And, and it also depends. It could be a good day or not a good day. You know, on a not a good day, he's foggy. You know, he's having trouble recalling. And, you know, he had a little mini stroke, uh, let's see, about three weeks ago. Oh. You know, and, and, you know, he's had them before. So, you know, sure. it's not any big major cause for concern. And, yep. um, you know, I just noted it in the, in the book. And then my oldest brother is going to take him, you know, this time to the doctor. And I'm like, here's the notes for, you know, when dad had mm -hmm. his last TIA and, you know, having that, um, having that, uh, that record also helps you feel a little bit more in control in a very, like out of control, sometimes feeling situation. That's an important fact, San, is that we had a journal that we kept or a notebook that we kept. Uh, and even if it's somebody who's in a, fa a, a facility versus being at home, I think there needs to be that journal. Um, all of the clinicians that I was involved with all wrote their notes in this book. It was wonderful because then if the nurse noticed something, then the um, uh, caretaker, the, the person that would come in and help us, um, would be able to see those notes from the nurse. I would be able to see the notes from the nurse. Um, my husband would say, well, you know, two days later, are, are we supposed to be having whatever? And I, I would be able to go back and say, oh, no, we're not supposed to have uh, food two hours before the pill or whatever. The fact that you, we can't remember everything and having a journal right there um, in with the person is so helpful. It's well, great. and as the, as the condition, you know, either improves or progresses, you can't tell without some sort of measurement, you know, especially if you're day to day, like, you know, when my oldest sister who only sees my dad once a year or maybe twice a year at most, she'll be like, wow, you know, dad's doing much better or wow, dad's really changed a lot. I don't see that because I'm day in and day out and everything is so gradual that you're just kind of used to it. So when you make a marked improvement or a marked change, it's helpful to look back. It's like, well, how we record our weight, you know, like if you yeah. look at your weight and you, you know, until your pants don't fit or nothing in your closet fits, you know, you might not see the pounds creeping yeah. up on you, but you weigh yourself daily and keep track of it. I mean, yeah. it's kind of the same thing. Now you are, 
you know, Rob, you have a, you know, it's funny because there's, there's like flip sides to every coin. Like my dad was a caregiver for both of his parents and he was an only child. So the burden, the preponderance of it fell on him much like it did for you. Right. I, however, am one of many and it's interesting that everybody has their opinion and whereas you had no um, opinion but your own, like no vying, like there's issues when it comes to conflict about the person's care. I think it's true that you do kind of have to set I don't want to say boundaries, but at least you do have to set roles. And that's difficult with a family. It's a little bit easier if you're just a DPOA or if you are the one person that just comes in on Tuesdays. But I think when you are the live-in, you are the relative, and you are also the caregiver, and you've got other siblings, one sibling needs to say, all right, this is my role. The other sibling, maybe the other sibling is better at the finances, whereas you're better at helping with um, doing, cutting hair and, and taking care of their dietary needs. There, there's probably something for everybody to do, but making sure that everybody's comfortable with their role can be hard on a family. It is. It is. And there's a lot of resentment, you know, especially in families where two of the siblings take 90% of the care and the other ones are just offering like, you know, well, I think you should do this or, you know, you should really make sure you get dad to the park every day. Well, you get your ass on a plane, get over here and you get him to the park. Like, you know, I try not to, to be, you know, that little sister, but Mm -hmm. when you do have siblings or aunts and uncles that want to put their two cents in about the person you're caring for, it's hard not to be really resentful of going, you come and do it. You know, because unless you're in it, and this is what I've said to my siblings, to aunts and uncles, and to well-meaning friends, Mm -hmm. unless you're in my house day in and day out handling, I call it the five, four, three, two, one factor, you know, three dogs, two kids, an old man, um, you've got, you don't know. Right, right. And I kind of have to ratchet it back going, they mean well. I have to remember they're just trying to help. Even though they tell me something that's so profoundly stupid, I want to rip their head off. <laughs> it is hard. And I don't think all families are as communicative. There's a lot of families that are a little more disjointed than others. If you can have that family meeting at the get-go, or there again, um, they may not see the daily uh, changes and think, oh, the last time I saw dad, he was up and around and he was walking. He was able to get drive over to get uh, groceries in, during the day. Um, they may not realize that, no, dad is more confused. Dad's not seeing well. Dad's not hearing well. They don't see those day-to-day things. So, Well, and, you know, I want to talk a little bit about dietary gifts because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, when somebody is sick, ill, injured, they want to send something. They want to give them a gift. They want to send something at birthday, send something at holiday time. And I have had more problems with the gifts coming in than I've had in 
really any other area of the life, especially with respect to nutrition. You know, when somebody's ill or injured, more often than not, they're on a restricted diet. My dad is restricted with salt. My dad is restricted with sugar. So to give him tubs of popcorn filled with salt and sugar, then I'm the one who has to take it away. Or, you know, we get these salted peanuts, you know, like, you know, what do you give somebody? And, you know, my one friend who's a nurse sent my dad this fruit of the month, which was actually more appreciated because I could, it, it wasn't like the high sugar gifts, but, you know, think about what people bring. They, they send chocolate, they send snacky snacks. And it's like, and then I get a lot of pushback from family and friends. Cause when I started calling people and say, you know, I really appreciate that you sent something to my dad. However, he can't have the sugar. He can't have the salt. And they go, well, he's 84. He should be able to eat what he wants. And then I say, well, that's all well and good. If you want to come over and clean him up when he has an accident, bring his blood sugar down when he needs an insulin, you know, you know, the, they don't understand it. And so anybody who wants to give a gift to a caregiver or to the person, it's always prudent to call and ask them what, what would they like? What can they have? Mm-hmm. Because as much as you want to surprise them with something, the surprise comes in the mail. My dad gets to it before I get home. Yeah. He opens it and eats it. And now his blood sugar is through the roof and he's sitting in the TV like this. Yes. Just comatose. Yep. And it's the well-meaning gift that, mm-hmm. you know, creates more problems. And, um, you know, the other thing too is, is a lot of times you need help with the silly things like, you know, if you want to give them a gift, how about some socks? We could yeah. really use, I know it sounds silly, but socks, a blanket, a sweatshirt, you know, people get cold. They, they, you know, like I forget who sent it to him, sent him this Buffalo Bills fleece blanket. Oh gosh. He lives in that Buffalo Bills fleece blanket yeah. because, yeah. you know, when you're confined to a space too, what do you give somebody? The default right. is usually food. Right. Right. Sometimes too, it's appreciated uh, if they're um, debilitated and not able to move, find a hairdresser that, or a barber that can come to the house and give them a haircut. I know I used to hire somebody to come to the house to do my mom's hair. In between, I could trim it and take care of it, but I needed to have a beautician come in occasionally and just do her hair. That made her feel wonderful. It made her feel pretty again it made it lifted her spirits it made her feel like she wanted people to come visit her because she felt presentable when you are ill you are in a bed or in pajamas or just in um sloppy comfy kind of clothes you don't want people to come in and sometimes the nicest thing is to have a visit from a friend but you're not going to invite them in if you feel like you look dumpy so right um, um, just even having somebody come in to do their hair is a, is a fabulous gift. Well, yeah. And like, you know, like his bills blanket that he can cover up with. And I will say the, the things that I've appreciated the most um, are the people who've called me and asked me what he needs. Mm-hmm. And then the ones who have come to just for a visit. Yeah. 
you know, you have no idea the power of when we're with the same person day in and day out and you're caring for them. You know, there's times, Rob, when I don't want to hear the same story. I've heard the same story like 40 times this year alone Mm -hmm. and they want to tell it to you. And, you know, so you can't roll your eyes. You can't, you know, sometimes I get short with them like, yeah, yeah, I know, dad, that's the story about blah, 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 blah. But then it hurts their feelings. You know, so to have somebody else come in just for a couple hours and sit with them mm-hmm. and I can just have that peace of mind going like, you know, this is where my kids, Rob, are really great. Both Zach and Max, they will sit with grandpa and they'll let him tell him the war stories. They'll let him tell him yeah. his whatever stories. And even if they've heard it, you know, we you kind of spread that out. Mm-hmm. and so to have somebody or if they are mobile, like in my dad's case, like the, the Vidic family, I love them. They work over at Edwards air force base. They took my dad the day John came and picked him up and he took him over when they did like the hundred years of flight and the breaking the sound barrier, whatever that thing was, or they did a Northrop Grumman plane show and, you know, only for the, the Edwards air force base people. And so they, they include my dad. That's how our whole family saw the space shuttle land. Like, they don't need to come every week. They don't need to right. call every day, but phone calls are another one. Like, Oh, I was going to say that. Oh, yeah. You know, I have family and friends on a call schedule. So my dad yes. gets one or two calls a day mm-hmm. and he can have that contact. I actually kept a schedule. Um, I would say, somebody would say, Oh gee, I'm sorry. Your mom isn't doing as well let me know if there's anything I can do. And right away I would say, let me jot down your phone number because yes, I would love to have you pitch in uh, or give me a hand in a couple of weeks. Are you able to give her a call at two o'clock on Tuesday? That gave me a good 20 minutes that I would be downstairs doing laundry, doing dishes, being on a a business call. It was wonderful for me to be able to know that at two o'clock, Harriet was going to call at uh, four o'clock on Thursday. I knew the uh, visiting nurse people would come in to help change her bed and be able to uh, help change her, her other things that needed changing. Um, I kept a schedule and every week we would kind of plan out what we were doing. And that's, you know, we would call it that we'd be able to work out what we needed uh, and who was calling, who was coming, um, when I had cancer, did the same thing. Who can pick up my kids on Tuesday? Who can pick up my kids on Thursday? That way you're not overburdening any one person. They, you're giving yourself the break. You have a schedule, which you know that you can book things that you need to do still as a professional, still as a parent, still as uh, just being able to go to the grocery store go to the pharmacy to pick up those pills. Well, and you know, before you feel guilty about this, remember that there are like, you know, my friends have told me this, Rob, you know, cause in the beginning I was trying to do everything myself. Mm-hmm. And then it all broke open one day when my friend Carrie said, what are you doing right now? And I said, I'm ready to cry. I'm staring at five loads of laundry that are mm-hmm. clean and piled up. I still got two more to go without even blinking an eye. Like, 10 minutes later, my doorbell rings 
and she's there with two other of my friends. And I said, what are you guys doing? They're like, we're going to lunch. And I thought, oh boy, would I love to go to lunch, but I'm looking at the laundry. And they all came in and we folded laundry and we just, we, she said, come on, let's clean your kitchen, Zan. You're drowning. Cause that, those were my drowning days. Yeah. She's out there doing the dishes and she's like, I love cleaning other people's kitchens. I hate cleaning my own, you know, <laughs> But they were able to give to me. I was able to receive. And, you know, now it's kind of a running joke when, you know, like her son got confirmed yesterday. So two days ago, I called her and I said, hey, you need some help with the housework. I know you got people coming. Yeah. Like you can do these things and, and help each other. And then when somebody passes, this is the other thing that I found. Like, you, like my, I think of my friend Kristen you know, and she had said to me, you know, Stan, when I come over and sit with your dad for a few minutes, I don't miss my dad so much. And Tracy, another one who was very close to her dad, she'll come and sit with my dad just for 15 minutes. Like she'll just yeah. pop in and, you know, she might bring two diet sodas because she knows he can't have any sugar and, you know, he'll have his little diet soda and she'll have yeah. her diet soda and she'll just he'll be on the couch or the chair watching TV and he'll tell her what he's watching. And, you know, that lifts the whole day. Like it is phenomenal how much that tiny little bit of a phone call or a 15 minute visit makes all the difference. Yes. Yes. All the difference. So whether you're scheduling other people to do that or whether you are the one being able to go and help another caregiver, that's, that's a gift that's just um, invaluable. Yeah, because I think a lot of us are, are choosing to care for our parents at least so. part-time or full-time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think it allows people, when people help you, it allows them to feel really good in a way that nothing else does. Is that true or is that true? I know. Um, and, and then think of the quality of life now that the person that you're caring for is experiencing that I swear my mom lived the 20 years that she did with us as opposed to maybe five years after her stroke if things had been different so um yeah it makes a world of difference a world of difference you know to have friends to have interests to have um people that like you know one of the things somebody said to me once they're like why do you drag your dad to soccer you know, like, cause it's a monumental effort. You know, I have to take oh, yeah. the cart, I have to take the food, I have to take the extra chair. And then, you know, it's kind of a walk up the hill and he, he trudges up the hill. But once he gets up there, you know, a lot of the other soccer parents and some of the soccer grandparents, they come over and they see his Navy shirt and they, Oh, did you serve? Yeah, I served. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And he'll talk. I don't even know if he watches the game, but he'll talk for two hours and he'll see other people, you know, so if you can get them out of the house, um, especially to something like that, like a kid's event, it is worth every effort of getting them in the car and getting them there because I usually get a good week out of that, Rob, like that changes the state for a whole week. Yes. Yes. Their disposition, your uh, disposition Everybody around you does. It makes a world of difference. 
Well, and I'm like the little bird that flies away as soon as I get my dad settled and I try to set him near two people that I know are like chatty Cathy's, you know, or like a, you know, a, somebody's grandpa that's there watching the game. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I'm very strategic when I go sit at soccer right. to find the right place for my dad. It's usually center located where everybody walks by because they'll say hello to him. Sure. And then I fly away. I am like running around. Like I don't, I don't worry about him. I don't feel I have to entertain him or keep him happy. You know, he's got his mm -hmm. little cooler full of, you know, his carrot sticks, his apple sticks, you know, everything he can yeah. have so he can yeah. munch away. And, you know, whether he watches the game or not, I don't really care, but he's happy. And when he's happy, I feel relief. And then that opens up more conversation because when they are confined, when they are in the same environment day in, day out, there's nothing really stimulating their mind and therefore their conversation for them to be able to talk a little bit. You know, I met this guy, blah, 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 at the, at the ballpark. Did you see him? And you can say, gee, no, I missed him. Tell me about it. Um, and that conversation does a multitude of good. It's stimulating them. It's, it's uh, recall. It's uh, the conversation that they had, they're sharing something new with you. That is uh, a, a tremendous gift for that person. Huge, huge gift. And, yeah. you know, Rob, um, the other thing it does is that it seems to reduce pain. Mm -hmm. It seems to energize them in a way that nothing else does. Right. And... There again, if we go for a walk, we feel better. If they've been stimulated one way or another, maybe it is that visit that's stimulated and maybe it is something physical. We have to look at that mental stimulus in many different ways. And maybe it is something physical, but maybe it is something mental. That conversation that they have at the ballpark with somebody new or maybe a church member came and stopped in and visited, that is uh, an extreme gift for that person. Um, it just helping them uh, live a quality live quality life. Yeah. Now you have cats and I have dogs. You know, I didn't want this dog chicken nugget that we got. You know, the kids wanted them, and you know, the first thing he did. You know, we already had two dogs, and I vowed I was never going to get over two dogs ever again. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, a friend of mine called and said, you know, we've got this this dog that's a deployment dog, and you know, the family's being moved, the dad's deployed, and you know, we need somebody to take this dog, Rob. And I, I looked at it and I'm like, Oh God, it's like an ugly mismatched dog of dog parts. And, you know, it wasn't cute and fluffy. It's got this pointy nose. Its ears are too big. It's front legs turn out. His back legs are too long. And then he's kind of like, like he's got that, like, he just looks like a potato with legs and he's not fat. He's just, you know, he's just one of those mismatches. And yes. yes. From the get-go, you know, the kids are like, oh, he's so funny looking. We love him. We love him. Let's take him home. So, of course, you know, we take him home. And uh, he hops on my dad's lap. Five years later, he's never left. And he, it makes my dad get up out of the chair, which he doesn't want to do because Nugget needs to pee. Or Nugget needs, you know, to get something to eat. Or Nugget wants a treat. Or Nugget dropped his toy and he can't reach it. And you know, my dad has to move a lot because yeah. of Nugget. And then yeah. Nugget is a permanent, like he's covered with his Buffalo Bills blanket. And then he's got this permanent dog attached to his hip. And my dad rubs him all day long and just pets him, whether it's four in the morning or four in the afternoon. And that companionship yeah. is just unbelievable. 
I know a lot of nursing homes or, or retirement communities are having visitors come in with, the, with these uh, wonderful service animals. And I call them service animals because they really are. Uh, they're coming in to, for a visit. And if you have that person in your home, you're, you're the caregiver and they live with you, and you have a pet, you're right. It makes uh, a world of difference. All the difference in the world, you know, and it's so much fun because, you know, I know if he's he's watching, you know, and I got to just say this, like, mm-hmm. teach your elder how to get on YouTube. You know, my dad is so funny because he calls my Uncle Gary and my Aunt Ruth, who now they're all over yeah. 85, okay? My dad's yeah. the young one. So my Aunt Ruth is like 87 and he's like, He's like, Ruthie, you got to check this YouTube. And he's like, Sam, do you pay for YouTube? No, dad, you don't pay for YouTube. But he can watch everything. Like he watches all these aircraft tests. He just, you know, he just sits there all day long. But then there's like Archie Bunker is on there. And, you know, if you're a caregiver for a young person, they know all this digital stuff is available for them. But you know, I got my dad a Chromebook for Christmas, you know, a couple of years ago. And then I got him a pair of headphones like mine, some cute little headphones. And I plug him in and there's only two buttons he needs to get to YouTube. Yeah. And then, you know, because YouTube constantly feeds you new things to yes. watch. Yes. So he is watching everything under the sun military and it yeah. it makes him happy. And he's, oh right. my gosh, he could tell you everything about the F-35. He could tell you about the <laughs> F-35A, the F-35, blah, 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 blah. And um, I do that with my husband. <laughs> but he's happy. Yes, that's it. Exactly. You know, he's happy and it's free and it, it keeps him entertained. And, um, you know, thank God for YouTube. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, they have old episodes on there of old oh, gosh, TV shows. Yeah, definitely. We've done that. Yeah, definitely. You this know. is amazing, Sam. You know what? You and I haven't uh, chatted about this kind of stuff in quite a while. Um, I hope we can do it again really soon. I know. I know. I mean, it's, it's hard, you know, like when you're like, I'm a sandwich caregiver, I got small children and an old man. Um, and my dog rescues, you know, let's not, let's not deny those because they're, you know, time is time, but it's worth it. You know, if you're on the bubble of thinking whether or not to care for your parent in your home, Mm -hmm. I'm going to push the button and say, try it. Because it may just be, you know, when my household turned eight to 80, that's what I called it when my dad was, you know, like that we became eight to 80 in my household. The conversations at the dinner table are definitely more fun and the kids get a lot out of it. My dad gets a lot out of it. Like you said, I think my dad has lived a lot longer after my mom. I I thought for sure he was going to go that year. You know, he was grieving so hard, you know, 60, whatever, some odd years of marriage, you know, they're just, Mm -hmm. and now he's like, you know, I got my boys, I got to wait for my boys to come home and like, oh, my boys got, you know, they got, they got soccer or volleyball or dance, you know, all those things. There's so much to live for. Um, And so if they can't go out and greet it, you kind of got to bring it to them. Bring it to them. And what better way is to have them right there in your home um, and have them live, live life with you. That's it. That's it. Okay. For Military Mom Talk Radio, this is Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. And we'll be back again next week.
Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.